unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Coming up on this week's show, I have assembled some of the best people who cover UCF football in the online and podcasting realm as we do another UCF roundtable to talk about the 2020 season. That will be coming up in just a few minutes. But first, I have some initial thoughts about week one in the National Football League. Yes, it is great to have pro football back. And week one, Monday, overreaction Monday is always the worst in the first week. Because if your team lost, oh my God, I have no idea how they're going to win another game. The season's over. They're terrible. It's awful. And if your team won, you're going to look giddy. Oh yeah, we're going to make a run this year. Here we go. Here we go. It's week one. (laughs) And as we often say, it's a week-to-week business in the National Football League. So hang tight. Long way to go. Obviously, the heavy topic being the somewhat disappointing performance from Tom Brady in his debut as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback. Throwing a couple interceptions, including a pick six. The very things that destroyed them last year with Jameis Winston. He's on pace now to break Jameis's marks from last year. No, he's not. <laughs> he's not going to throw 30 picks. Now, I have been of the opinion that Bucks fans have way too high expectations that Brady's going to lead them to the Super Bowl. I don't see it happening because I do see Father Time finally catching up to him. But that's not to say they still won't be a pretty good team. Because they will have improved play of the quarterback position over the long haul. And this is just a piece of it without you know having preseason games. Which, by the way, overall, play around the league was pretty good in Week 1. You could make a case, well, do we really need preseason games? I think not. But there was no real offseason season. And so it's going to take a little time for things to gel. So if your team lost, don't be down in the dumps. And if your team won, yeah, scale it back a little bit. But it is, once again, great to have NFL football back on our Thursdays, Sundays, and Mondays. Yes, this show is going to cater to the local audience in Orlando and Central Florida. But it's time once again, it's becoming a a staple to have our UCF Roundtable with some of the very best people that cover the UCF Knights. And without further ado, we will introduce our roundtable as we talk UCF football for 2020. And we will go in alphabetical order this time around. So first up, we say hello to the co-host of the Sons of UCF podcast, Adam Eaton. Adam, how are you? Jeff, I'm doing well. I cannot wait. Football is finally here. It's been too long. I'm excited to, uh, to get rolling. Amen to that. And uh, joining us now, the man who I like to call the godfather of coverage of UCF digitally and online, Brandon Helwig is here from UCFsports.com. Brandon. Uh, great to be here, Jeff. Uh, just happy there was a season. I know there was a lot of uncertainty during the late spring and summer months, whether we would get to this point. I'm just excited that uh, we're finally going to see some UCF football here in a few days. 
Yes, absolutely right. And uh, next we move on to Eric Lopez. He's from the Black and Gold Band Red Elo. How are you doing? Doing good. Glad that we're doing this better later than never, which I thought for a while would be never. So uh, I never thought I'd be happy to be late. Yes. <laughs> yeah, better late than ever for sure. And joining us from Knights247.com, Jason Beatty is back once again. Jason, how are you? I see you saved the best for last. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to be here. It's great to be here. I'm happy that we're just, you know, days away from football at UCF. So it's yes. good talking football. Yeah, we're glad to have a season and, uh, you know, it's going to be an odd season because COVID is uh, causing problems throughout, even in the American already. So uh, it's uh, going to be interesting to see how it all uh, transpires as we go from the uh, beginning of the season to the end, whenever that may be. So let's get to our roundtable session here. So I'm going to ask a few questions of our panel and uh, we will start with Adam. And as we went into uh, this last year, we had a lot of Questions about the quarterback position. We knew Mackenzie Milton wasn't going to play. Daryl Mack was hurt. He would have been certainly the uh, the incumbent to win the job. Brandon Wimbush had transferred in for Notre Dame. We had Kadri Jones and a freshman from Hawaii named Dylan Gabriel. So Brandon started week one, but then Dylan Gabriel took over week two and never looked back, having a great freshman season. So the question is, how do you think Dylan Gabriel will fare in his sophomore season? Adam. Well, let me just start with this. It seems like 10 years ago we were talking about Brandon Wimbush. Like, how long ago was that? Um, how will Dylan Gabriel fare? I'll actually answer that question this way. I'm more interested in how Josh Heupel will fare. I, I feel like Dylan has proven himself, and I think we know what he is now. But in freshman year, year one, how much was he able to do? How much did Heupel let him do? How much was on his plate? How much of the playbook was open? So I'm more curious to see how Heupel handles him in year two. I think we've all seen Dylan's got the skill set, right? He's got the arm strength. He's got the intangibles you want. He's, he's a good leader on the field. You know, he made some freshman mistakes last year, but I think some of that we can attribute to the offensive line. So I think the sky's the limit for Dylan Gabriel. My question is, what's Heupel and that offensive staff? How is Alex Golesh's influence going to impact what they do on offense? I think that's where the secret lies for Dylan in 2020 is more on the hypo coaching side. Uh, Cause I think short of some, you know, really mystifying regression, I think we know what Dylan is and he's only going to continue to get better. All right. Brandon Helwig, what's your thoughts? Uh, yeah. It's, it's honestly kind of scary to think about, you know, how, how good Dylan can be going in year, into year two. They always talk about, you know, the biggest jump a player is going to make is, is going from their first year in a program to their second. And I know early on last season, I think, you know, some things were kind of held back for Dylan. There was, you know, there was still that sort of McKinsey Milton injury lingering in the air, if you know what I mean? Just, you know, in terms of just that brutal hit and what that meant. And I think, I think he saw it early on with, with Dylan Gabriel, he was a little bit skittish of, you know, you know, he's, he's not, he's not the runner that, that McKinsey was, but when there was opportunities to maybe pick up five or six yards and he could have easily done it, it looked like he was a little bit hesitant to do so. And that was kind of, I guess you could see some of the early uh, criticisms of, of Dylan last year. And, you know, and obviously the other one was just, you know, going on the road and just you know, struggling. Obviously all of his interceptions came in the road games last year. And, and so I just think just with another year in the, in the system, being more comfortable with, with the guys, uh, you know, and as far as, you know, I can't remember the the percentage of, of the offense. I think Mark Daniels has mentioned it a couple of times. I don't think Hypo has been that candid with us, but I think he said, you know, with Dylan last year, I don't think he even had half of his offense in that, you know, he, he feels like he can execute. So it'll be interesting to see with, 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 with the wide open playbook, 
you know, and, and all the weapons returning just to see how good Dylan can be in year two. Eric, what do you think? Well, I think Brandon makes a great point about all the guys returning and this being his second year. Remember the jump in the improvement McKenzie Milton had from the freshman year to the sophomore year? Uh, you know, it could be pretty exciting if we see that from Dylan. And Brandon just made a great point. They didn't insert a lot of the offense into last year because I think they wanted to go easy on him being a freshman. I expect that playbook to be a little bigger, and I want to see – Dylan play at the high level on the road. Brandon alluded to it, the turnovers, the Cincinnati game, the Pittsburgh game, they eat, you know, some freshman mistakes. You know, can he be consistent home and away this year? I think he's, he's, he's in for a big year to follow in the footsteps of McKenzie and be, to me, be the front runner for the American Conference Player of the Year. And Jason Beatty. Yeah, I mean, the, the great thing about this is we get to find out uh, how he's going to do on the road because the first two weeks are road games. You know, one is a little bit more tougher than, you know, than he can go to ECU, but uh, we'll find out right away from the jump on how he's going to, how Dylan's play, how Dylan is going to play on the road. And, um, you know, he was asked that yesterday and he said, I just have more experience now. Um, you know, we'll see how that translates to the field and what he does. And if, if Josh Heupel really does instill uh, more confidence in him and open the playbook up a little bit, um, you know, I think they're still going to let him, you know, be who he is as a quarterback and, and hone in on his strengths. But um, it's going to be exciting to see. And I think certainly on the road is where he struggled last year. And this is where he has to improve this season. And I think he'll have that maturity to uh, take that next step as a road quarterback in a tough environment. Uh, I think that's definitely in front of him to, to do. And, you know, you might have some concern because, you know, he's losing a great playmaker in Gabriel Davis. Adrian Killens is now uh, graduated and onto the National Football League. But thankfully, the Knights have a loaded running back room. They still have got uh, great receivers in Trey Nixon. Mar- Marlon Williams is a guy I think is going to step up this year. So I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, how Dylan, you know, becomes even more of a leader on that team now because uh, he has that year behind him and that experience. Well, of course, uh, Mackenzie Milton has been practicing, and uh, Josh Heupel said he will not see any action at least the first few weeks of the season. We've all seen the video of Mackenzie. We've heard all the reports on his uh, progress in rehab. Will Mackenzie Milton see the field in 2020? Adam? Yeah, I, I hope so, Jeff. I mean, it's really hard to answer this question because, you know, I have to think of it as two ways. One – as a fan of UCF, as someone who went to the school, you know, McKenzie brought us, um, you know, some of the heights that we've never seen before. And so certainly I, I want to see him back out there because I, I have those memories. I have the memories of 17 and even 18 and what he accomplished. And so I, I want to see that for sure. I want, I want him to have that opportunity. I want to have him put that jersey and helmet back on one more time, go out to the bounce house and put on a show for the fans. But I'm also a, uh, a crusty old man at this point in my life. And I understand that, <laughs> you know, when you're, you know, when you're 20, it makes a lot of sense. But when you're 40, um, you know, I, that's where I want to make sure McKenzie's going to be okay. And, and I know it's not my place through that. He's got, you know, friends and family to, to look, look after him. But, I, you know, my, my personal hope is that he's, health, he's healthy and he's safe and he can have a normal adult life and, and do the things that, that all of us want to do as we grow older. So it's a tough question. The fan of me really wants him on the field. If, if only for one play, he deserves to, to take a snap and have the bounce house go crazy and everyone stand and applaud. He's earned that right. Um, I want to see him get that right. And, uh, and I just hope that 
you know, the, the long play is something that he keeps in mind because, you know, there's a, there's a lot of life ahead for Mackenzie Milton. I think we all know he has aspirations to coach. He seems like he'd, he'd be a really good coach. If he wants to hit the motivational speaker circuit, I think he'd do a good job there. I think he's got so much life in front of him that as long as he does things safely, I'm, I'm okay with whatever he does. But selfishly, one more snap in the black and gold is, is just fine for me. Brandon, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, it's really hard to say without, you know, knowing exactly what the medical statuses have been. You know, we know we flew up to uh, Minnesota in the late summer for a checkup. And, you know, reading between the lines, you know, no one really came out and said exactly what was said. But it looks like he's making good progress. Uh, we know what UCF kind of teased this with a few weeks back uh, with some photos of him sprinting uh, in a straight line on the practice field. So we know he can he can be you know be out there and running around whether he's cutting and doing some of the you know lateral movements and things that you know made him such a great quarterback. I don't know if he's at that point yet. Um, you know, if we were talking about you know like, like a month or two ago, we were wondering if there was this spring season. You know, maybe that would be more you know beneficial to you know for him to possibly have more time to rehab. I'm I'm going to go. You know, I'm just going to go on a, on a limb. You just want us to predict something one way or another. I'm going to say yes. I think by the end of the year, he will be able to do something, whether that is, you know, 100%, I don't know. Um, could it be a situation where at the end of a game, UCF needs, you know, basically someone to take a knee or something just to kind of get him out there one more time? I think that's uh, it's a possibility. So I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, yes, we will see McKenzie Milton at some point on the field this season, but maybe not towards the end. Eric Lopez, will McKenzie see the field? I think he will, and part of the reason I feel that way is if we weren't going to see him at some point on the field, I feel like the Josh Hypor's UCF would have kind of debunked it by now. I mean, Brandon, you've been part of the weekly of, of media availabilities, as, as you've been, Jason, as well. Adam, you and I have watched it from afar. You know, every time Josh has been asked about that, he's been more than complimentary. He's like, yeah, he won't be available this week, but he's doing great and all this. It's not like he's been saying, yeah, no, he it's, we, we don't know. It's a long ways away. He could have easily said, no, you know, it's going to take for a while. But he sounded pretty like, yeah, he's doing great, and we'll probably see him at some point this year. And this is a huge national story. This is beyond just a UCF story. Marty Smith, who's going to be on the sidelines for the Georgia Tech game, tweeted Josh Heupel's answer about Josh Heupel, about Mackenzie Milton's situation this week. So the national media is very much invested in this story. And I kind of agree. I think he will play. Because I could see him doing handoffs. I think Quadri Jones will be the backup if they need a serious amount of reps as far as if somebody needs to play a quarter, quarter and a half. I would be surprised if we see McKenzie do anything like that, at least early on. But I could see a scenario where he pops in and hands it off and, and comes in either – I'll give you a couple dates. I mean, let's say, for example, there's that Black Friday game in Tampa. Wouldn't that be something where the, the spot where he got hurt and we and we were worried about his well-being and his future. If now here in, on Black Friday in Tampa, they're blowing out USF like it's become a natural tradition, which we enjoy, wouldn't it be something if he comes in there and finishes that game? Think about that one from a storyline standpoint. Just just think, just put that in the back pocket there. Yeah, although, although personally, I never want to go back to Tampa because of what happened to McKenzie there. Uh, Jason, what do you think? Yeah, I think uh, in terms of what Eric was saying, in terms of how we've always heard uh, Josh Heupel and others and just the, con the constant positivity 
you know, um, I don't know if Josh would be constantly negative if we're the opposite, if we were continue to keep asking about McKenzie and what his status was. But in terms of just how he's always said good things and he's continuing to progress and things like that, you know, one can say, well, what else is, what else is he supposed to say? And it's like, I feel like in a situation with this, I, I think he's being really honest with, with us. Um, not to say he isn't honest all the time, but you know, he can, he can hide things and, and maybe not tell us the full truth or, or tell a little us vague. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No. He's coach, really? you know? He's a football coach. Surprise, you know. Um, but I think another really interesting point is every time he brings up, every time we ask about McKenzie, he also brings up Brandon Moore. Um, and these two guys have really rehabbed together and, and, you know, not exactly the same type of injury, but both serious leg injuries. And um, the fact that both those guys are continuing to rehab, and I think hopefully both will see the field at one point this season, how, you know, versus what type of, uh, availability and, and w- at what point in the game do they see the field? I, I can't say, but um, I think both will see the field this season, especially McKenzie. Yeah, I think the scenario is going to be uh, a late game situation, running out the clock, that kind of that kind of deal. The one thing I'm thinking in the back of my mind is, you know, if uh, if there's anybody near McKenzie, if there's any any viable look of contact, or you see McKenzie run. How many people are going to be holding their breath? <laughs> Me. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, so that would be the, 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 the one thing to that, that uh, collectively so many people will be having concern seeing him on the field, but just so much joy and, uh, and adulation, which he de- most richly deserves uh, for getting back on the football f- field and for everything he has endured. All right, next question is a two-parter. Who will be the offensive and defensive MVPs for the Knights in 2020? Adam. Yeah, so uh, I have the, uh, the luxury. So I put a poll up on our show, and I asked the fans to kind of vote on this. So I have some advanced information. I'm not going to share it with you guys, but I will <laughs> tell you. You have to tune into the Suns UCF for all that great detail. For me, defensive player of the year, I'm going to go a little off the board. Um, I'll, I'll give you a hint. This guy did not win the fan vote, but he won my vote. I'm going to go Antoine Collier. Um, I think he's solid back there. He's steady. I think Richie Grant gets the headlines back there. Obviously, Richie's uh, a, a very good player as well. Collier had a really good year last year. I don't, I don't think it was as flashy, and I don't think he did it with as much headlines as as Richie Grant did on the defense. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Antoine Collier as my defensive MVP. Um, I guess I'd answer the question this way on offensive: Is anybody other than Dylan Gabriel going to win the offensive MVP? If if we take Dylan Gabriel aside and say a non-quarterback award. I think the, the person with the opportunity to have the ball in his hands the most is probably Otis Anderson. Um, we think about, you know, receiving and, and out of the backfield. But I'm going to go Greg McRae because I think Greg McRae is really in for a bounce back here. I think he obviously had a, had a disappointing year last year with the injuries. You know, see the videos of him on Twitter. And if you watch anybody on Twitter, they're all in the best shape of their life. And they've all been training like they've never trained before, right? But <laughs> I feel like there's something with Greg McRae this year that he's got a lot to prove. We saw what he can do. Um, I, I think you add him back to that backfield. I think you get the ball in his hands. He, he was by far the running back who set up his blocks the best with a new offensive line kind of gelling together. I think you need a running back that can you know, figure out how to play off that group. So give me Greg McRae for uh, offensive MVP if we're not going to go with a, with the Dylan Gabriel quarterback vote. Brandon, who are your picks? Yeah, I was kind of going uh, – I had the same thought as, as Adam. Just, uh, it's kind of hard not to pick Dylan Gabriel, I think, when you look at the offense and 
how much I play X to pass the ball. If this is going to be a successful year, obviously, you know, Dylan's going to probably put a, a monster number. So I almost feel like it's cheating if you pick Dylan Gabriel. And, you know, I think we did this last year. And we we're all going to kind of copy each other. But if it's not Dylan and you think, you know, what player on offense has the chance to make the biggest impact to look at receiver, they're going to spread the ball around. I'm not sure there's going to be, you know, anyone exactly like a Gabriel Davis is going to have the same type of numbers that he had. I think we'll, we'll, we'll see those numbers spread out quite a bit. So if you don't really look at receiver, it's always kind of hard to name an offensive lineman or a tight end, uh, a most valuable player on, on a certain, on the offensive side. So I go with Greg McRae. Uh, I feel like I'm copying here, but uh, I think he's, he's the guy who, who, who could stand to benefit the most, um, you know, this year uh, getting the ball in his hands. And then on the defensive side, I know he went with Antoine Caller. I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth in my head, you know, who I think it should be. Um, I'm, you know, it, it, the easy pick, like everyone is going to say, is is Richie Grant. I know his production was down um, a little bit last year from from the previous season, but you know, I guess I'm not going to take Richie. Uh, to make a long story short, I'll go with Aaron Robinson. He was kind of the unsung hero of UCF secondary last year. Just you know, you know, doesn't get a whole lot of flash, but, you know, he consistently graded out as the best player on, on defense. If you look at pro football focus and, and those scouts that kind of analyze, you know, every snap of every game, he was by far the leading player on, on defense. And, you know, him coming back for, I guess, what's going to be his fifth year playing ball, um, I'm expecting another huge year out of him. I mean, you can pick anybody. I mean, you can pick anyone in that secondary uh, almost Richie Grant, Antoine Carver. But to pick one, I'm going to go with Aaron Robinson. All right, Eric, uh, where do you land? Uh, Brandon took it. He's right. I mean, the Robinson pick is fantastic. You could argue he's the best all-around talent. Uh, our, our, my, our co-host, uh, Brian Murphy, on the Black and Gold Banner Pack, that's his pick. We talked about this in the last episode, and we'll probably do it again this week, about Robinson and the abilities he has. So Brand, uh, so I'm not going to go there because I'm, I'm going to go different. I'm going to go Richie Grant. I'll go with a popular name. But, look, he is a playmaker. You saw how he dominated early in the bowl game up in Gasparilla there, up in St. Pete. He's still a playmaker. Uh, he's, he knows he's playing and I, he could be a candidate. I think he's a Gabe Davis candidate of, he has this monster year that it wouldn't be surprising. Like by the end of the year, people are talking about him in a certain draft pick in a draft round. Remember how Gabe Davis, especially after the Stanford game, when he just dominated Stanford people, he was on the radar people as far as getting drafted. And I think in a high and high drafting, not just getting drafted. And I think the same could be for Richie Grant if he has a monster year. So that's why I'm going to go with Richie, but uh, I, I do like the Robinson pick from Brandon. All right, Jason, you can weigh in now. Yeah. Like we all just kind of said, I think Dylan Gabriel is the obvious pick. Um, I kind of agree with Brandon, the wide receiver class or the wide receiver group. Marlon, Trey, Jacob Harris, and I don't really – maybe Jalen Robinson. I don't really see that one Gabriel Davis. He's going to get eight, nine touchdowns automatically, you know, uh, without any question on a wide receiver core. You don't really have that this season. I feel like it's a group effort. Um, I'm going to go Otis Anderson just because his name hasn't been said yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going to bring him up. <laughs> also because he's a talented player and, and – you know, he's, he's the utility man as, we, as we've come to know him now in terms of what he can do in the kick return game and, and as a wide receiver and as a running back, he's all over the place. And I think – I don't want to say we've forgotten about him, but, um, you know, I think he's 
somehow on uh, underrated entering the season. It's like, oh yeah, Ot- Otis Anderson's there and he's fast, he's quick, um, he's dangerous in the backfield, and I think he's going to be the offensive MVP outside of Dylan Gabriel. Uh, defensively, you know, I I think Richie Grant, Aaron Robinson, all those guys out there. I'm just going to go a different route and say Traymon Morris Brash. I think he's going to have a great season this year. We, we spoke with uh, Shane Burnham this morning. He said the sky's the limit for him. It's just a matter of if he wants to put the, the work in, the preparation in. Um, you know, at, at times you saw how good he was last season and how dangerous he is as, an, as a rusher and how fast and quick he can be and just keep turning that motor on. Um, if, if he's able to play at his full potential, obviously he's, obviously he's still young, but if he's able to play at whatever his full potential this season is, um, he's going to cause a lot, of, a lot of problems for offenses. Maybe I should have called the segment OTD MVP, other than Dylan, who was the MVP. Uh, I, you know, I, boy, it's, to me, it's like a coin flip between Otis Anderson and Greg McRae. Um, you know, Otis is the Swiss Army knife. And I, again, I think Greg McRae healthy. Uh, if he puts together a 2020 like he did a 2018, it's going to be pretty impressive. Um, so I would probably just give the slight edge to Greg in, in that category. And on defense, I'm going to go Richie Grant. And I think it's because I think he's got a lot to, uh, to, to prove that he uh, probably had a big distaste for how his season went last year. And I think he's going to uh, step up and really take it uh, to a whole new level. So that will be my pick on the uh, defensive side of the football. All right. In the American, will UCF win the conference? And who do you think would be the biggest obstacle towards that happening? Adam? Yeah, so on the show, um, cocky UCF fan came out of me. I picked him to go undefeated. So I'm going to say yes, that they will win the conference. Um, and listen, I try to look at this objectively. Look at the schedule. And you say to yourself, on the schedule, is there a team that you can definitively say is better than UCF? To me, the answer is no. Are there teams that are close? Are there teams that are in the ballpark? Are the teams that will end up being good matchups? Absolutely. But I don't look at that, that schedule and go, oh, my goodness, this team is absolutely better than us. There's, there's no way we can beat this team, right? So that, that's my baseline for this. And then you get into games where things get weird, right? There's road games, night games, um, you know, different things that are happening in and around. So I, I circle two games on the, on the schedule. You asked for one, though, so I'll give you one, Jeff. I'll go the Memphis contest simply because it's on the road. And obviously, we'll, we'll get an early read at how UCF on the road plays here coming up on Saturday against Georgia Tech. But, you know, at Memphis, uh, will there be fans, more fans at that point? Uh, remains to be seen yet. Uh, UCF has had uh, some challenges, obviously, on, on the road, night game, um, in conference. Uh, Memphis is, is hungry. They, they've had uh, a lot of close calls but cannot quite seem to get over the hump. And so you, you can see a scenario setting up where the Cinderella season, Brady White, I think he's on his ninth year there. I'm not really sure. I stopped <laughs> counting. Um, and so at some point, he's, he's going to want to win. Um, and so I'm going to go Memphis. I'm going to say that's the game where we, we slug it out. We seem to always have those back and forths with Memphis. Um, obviously, they, they return a lot of talent. Um, you know, losing, uh, losing Kenny Gainwell was, was big for them. But, you know, they got a lot of continuity in offense. They didn't look great in week one against Arkansas State. There may or may not have been a party bus, so we'll see how that shakes out <laughs> as the weeks and years go on here. But I'm going to say Memphis is the toughest challenge. Hey, Brandon, what do you think? Yeah, um, I mean, I agree with, with Adam's thoughts. Uh, yeah, I think UCF should win the conference. Um, it'll be uh, a little bit of a different conference race. It's, it's, you know, obviously there's no division play anymore with, with UConn leaving. 
So it'll be, you know, I don't know if it'll be confusing, but it won't be quite as cut and dry as, you know, oh, you're in the East, you're in the West, this is where you stand, this is who you got to be, and you got to, you know, maybe root for certain losses if you've dropped a game, if, if they're on your side of the division. So that'll be interesting just to see how that goes, uh, that new format. But the biggest obstacle, I'm not sure you said the biggest game, or the biggest, biggest obstacle uh, is, you know, knock on wood, is the, the virus. And, you know, we don't know what could happen. Now, we've seen, obviously, a lot of postponements, uh, you know, last Saturday, I think a couple games, or, you know, Virginia, Virginia Tech, they're saying, hey, we're not going to play. There's, there was uh, other games came out today. Um, I guess Florida Atlantic shut down practice. There's still stuff happening on, on a nearly almost daily basis with, oh, yeah, um, Ar- Arkansas State. You know, they are, they're not going to play this weekend after, uh, you know, winning a Big 12 game last week. So, you know, it, it remains to be seen. You could be postponements. That, you know, heck, you could play a game and you're shorthanded some of your best players. I mean, we don't know how that's going to work. Knock on wood. Um, from everything I know, uh, UCF has been pretty healthy. They have had some positives through the process. Uh, from what I heard, most of those came, you know, when they reassembled, you know, in the early summer, you know, guys that maybe had had it uh, when they were home, but there haven't been any big breakouts. To the best of my knowledge, uh, players, you know, at least since preseason camp started. So you just hope everyone stays healthy, and that's the one thing you don't know. I mean, I, you know, I, we don't know when the conference championship is for sure. Um, I think that's kind of up in the air. When, what Saturday in December they would put that on. But that's just kind of the biggest thing, you know, I'm kind of looking for is to kind of see, you know, how much the virus affects things. I'm kind of like right now, I'm kind of concerned. It's not a game UCF plays, you know, right away, but it's that Temple game on November 14th. Temple hasn't been able to practice um, because of, of rules within the city of Philadelphia. And they've had to postpone, they, you know, their game, their season opener against Navy. They keep on postponing that. So, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to find another stadium or, or what, or what's going to happen with them. They, you know, I wouldn't rule it out. They may have to, you know, opt out of the season like old dominion has done in conference USA. And just with, you know, weird records. And, you know, I guess the only way you can control it is if you win every game and, and we'll see if UCF does that. Um, but uh, yeah, that's the biggest thing I'm going to be uh, looking for this season. And actually, Brandon, uh, breaking news uh, today: the Temple has been cleared to fully practice and play at, at the link this season. Oh, they have. Uh, that, okay. Yeah. So okay. that was reported. I did not see that. Yeah, that wow. was reported by the Philadelphia Inquirer uh, uh, a short time ago. So okay. Uh, well, good. Great. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. At least one bit of good news as far as uh, the, the virus is concerned. Eric Lopez, what are your thoughts? Well, piggyback on what Brandon pointed out, Memphis was supposed to play Houston this week. It was supposed to be the Friday night game, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, right, yes. Brandon? And then, right, uh, yeah. and then Memphis caught an outbreak, alleg- allegedly bus party in the bus, We know, which has been kind of declined by the, head, the new head coach. I mean, so to Brandon's point, you don't <clears> know. I think part of the interesting challenge will be the, the flux in the scheduling. Could you be playing somebody you weren't expecting uh, gets moved later in the season? Or is somebody going to get added to the schedule? I mean, Houston, the second they found out Memphis wasn't going to play this week, and they added Baylor on the schedule. That is that is so unique. It's unheard of in college football. So I think uh, those are a couple things to keep in mind. Uh, I will say two things. I think UCF, yes, I have – I'm like Adam. This will be out on com. I've got them going undefeated. I actually had them going to the college football playoff. However, with the Big Ten, uh, if they're in play, then they won't be in the playoff. So they'll have to, we'll have to settle for the Peach Bowl, maybe against North Carolina, ironically enough, who we were supposed to open the season with, huh? But – 
I think there are – so there's a the challenge on the schedule. As of the schedule, the way it is right now, I think Cincinnati's the clear choice. I trust Luke Fickle. Memphis, I agree with Adam on the roster standpoint, but I don't trust their coach. And, you know, I don't know – there's still some questions. There's, remember, their best player, Gainwell, who is the AP All-American, opted out of the season. So I think Cincinnati, Luke Fickle – that's the matchup. I think that could be a college game day sequel too, by the way, at the end there in November where they were two years ago, game day came here. They might come back here again because you could have American conference championship game implications. Uh, so I think that's the toughest game on the schedule. The one that I would be like, the one that I would circle is, Oh no, we better not look overlook this game. That could be your Tulsa game. If you will, is the one at Houston on Halloween we all know that they have always played some tight games against Houston over the years, especially in Houston. So Dana Hogerson, they're kind of, you know, I don't think they're going to be great, but they, you know, they're at home. You just, that's a tricky game as far as the on the schedule. Then I'll give you a third team. Cause I think this is the team they're going to end up playing in the championship game. If there is one, and that's SMU. I think SMU, if you look at their schedule, they host Memphis, they host Cincinnati, very favorable schedule. Brandon mentioned it, no divisions this year. So it's the top two teams in the conference. So I think it's going to be SMU with the schedule, with Bouchelle at quarterback, going against the winner of UCF Cincinnati in the American Conference title game. I have UCF winning that, and you could have the two top quarterbacks in the league, Bouchelle and Gabriel, going at it for the title. Yeah, and uh, thank God we don't have to go to Tulsa this year. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing good ever happens there. And uh, you, you mentioned Houston and Baylor uh, getting together. You know, I'm hoping 2020 will maybe uh, bring a new reasoning to scheduling in college football that we don't have to schedule seven years in advance. <laughs> maybe that'd be a, a novel idea. So, Jason, what do you think? Yeah, I think I agree with everyone that every, everything that's been said by everyone else. You know, Memphis, obviously, is a tough game. Houston sneaky game on Halloween, Cincinnati coming for blood at on the road in in Orlando. Going to go and say USF on Black Friday. It's it's an, obviously an in-state game, but it's a road game. Um, you know, a rival game. Uh, no one, you know, if you're a rival and you want to take down a team that may be undefeated, there's your chance to get a huge win. Um, we've seen how close these games have been the last few seasons between these two teams. Um, you know, I don't know if they can actually beat UCF, but weird things happen when a lot is on the line. Yeah, and I tell you, I, I really think that, uh, you know, it, it all comes down to we all are pretty much in agreement on a lot of this stuff. I think Cincinnati is the biggest obstacle because, because of defense. Um, I think defense is going to be uh, very critical uh, how, to how the season plays out, especially with uh, all the uncertainty that we have and schedules possibly changing defense travels. And that's going to be a, a big component as far as that is concerned. But I, you know, it's amazing how spoiled we become, but you know, I, I sit there and think UCF can go undefeated and uh, it, uh, it's certainly. Well, and let me chime in. I think this is an important year because they lose a lot of guys from this team. It's a veteran team. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of like, I don't want to say it's the end because I think there's a lot of young talent, but there's going to be more questions about this roster next year. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a younger roster. This is kind of the last hurrah, uh, hurrah for this group that maybe in some cases started in 2016 or 2017 here. So this is why it's critical to go out on top and, and the expectation because next year there will be more questions about the roster while it still t- will be talented, but there'll be more questions and younger. 
All right. And of course, uh, Eric, you kind of alluded to it already, but uh, the next question was going to be, can UCF make the college football playoff? <laughs> you, she didn't look at my notes. Sorry, sorry to spoiler. <laughs> Adam, what do you think? It depends on if the Nebraska guy is accurate, right? So I think Eric's spot on with the Big Ten. If the Big Ten and or Pac-12 opt back in, or I don't know if they ever opted out. I don't really know how we call that right. But, uh, you know, the Nebraska chancellor, I think it was, was caught on a hot mic saying a vote was coming tonight. That was debunked by some people. But but it sounds like all indications are the Big Ten is looking to hop back into to the play, uh, to the season, rather. When that is, I think it's still up for debate. If they're back in, then I think UCF chances are, are pretty slim at that point, right? I think just the – I think everyone will be so excited that the Big Ten is back in. It's going to be one of those things where they want the, the blue bloods, quote-unquote, back in the playoff. I think that really hurts the chances. If not, I think Eric's spot on because I think this is the one year. This kind of reminds me of that 2013 season for UCF where we were in the Big East, but it wasn't really the Big East anymore. But we had the BCS, but we didn't really have the BCS. And we kind of snuck our way into the Fiesta Bowl, right, because of the way the system was set up. To me, this is that one year where the system is going to be a little bit off its normal cadence, if you will, uh, there's going to be a lot of different things. And this is our good opportunity with a, with a talented team, with a veteran-laden team to, to make some noise and to really get ourselves into that conversation. Because of all the things we've mentioned before with, with COVID concerns, with conferences opting out, with, with teams not being able to travel and play. So if there's no Big Ten and or Pac-12, I think UCF has a, a really good shot at the playoff. If the Big Ten rumors are true and they're back in, then I think those those chances go down dramatically. All right, Eric, so you uh, definitely know you think if the Big Ten's in that UCF is out, but do you see any scenario if the Big Ten is in that UCF can somehow make it happen? No, because the problem is Ohio State is in the Big Ten, and some would argue that they might be the best team going into the season it's them and Clemson so if the Big Ten is back I think Ohio State will win the, will be in there and even if they, you know they don't have to even necessarily win the Big Ten to get in you know I mean Big Ten has had two teams in the past in the playoff that's too much to overcome uh, I think that the Big Ten that's why when the Big Ten opted out I thought that was huge and that's why I applauded the American to proceed forward with the fall season because they can really the league could have benefited the most out of anybody because they could have cashed in, gotten to that playoff spot. And I think if the American, if Cincinnati stays ranked and Memphis stays ranked, then maybe an SMU gets in the top 25. I think there would have been enough quality there for UCF to get in over, say, an Oklahoma, who I think people are kind of tired of going to the playoff and getting destroyed (laughs) by an SEC team or Clemson. So – I think, and we've had national people were picking UCF uh, already. Uh, you know, Chris Vanini of the Athletic had UCF in the playoff. Phil Steele, uh, Phil Steele, who uh, yeah. as well. So I think there's enough of a band, you know, bandwagon going on there. Plus, the difference between this year and seventeen was. 17, we came out of nowhere. So people are like, wait a minute, where, where are they guy? They were just winless a year. What, what do you, what, where did this come from? Now there's a body of work. And I know people don't like that, but that does matter in college football. Like I think UCF is starting to benefit from the success they've had in 17 and 18. So I think they're going to get more of the breaks when it comes to rankings as supposed, for example, a Louisiana who's in the top 25 who might go undefeated, but they're not going to get the, the benefits of the doubt that a UCF would. So I think that's uh, – we're seeing the fruits. And I think if there was no Big Ten, I think a lot of people are like, you know what? 
you know what? They went undefeated in 17. They went undefeated in the 18, only lost LSU in that Fiesta Bowl, and they're undefeated again this year. It, let's give them a shot. Let's go. And I think it would – I really do think it would have happened. Unfortunately, though, with if the Big Ten's involved, that's out the window because you're not going to overcome Ohio State or Penn State or the SEC champion or a Clemson ACC champion. I just don't see it. All right, and a uh, penalty flag on me because I uh, skipped Brandon. <laughs> so uh, illegal procedure on me, Brandon. What is your thought on this uh, on this team? You know, it's pretty much what the other uh, guy said. You know, when if the Big Ten is going to opt back in, we'll see if that happens or not. I, you know, obviously, privately, personally, I've been hoping that they don't uh, for obvious reasons. That I think uh, you know, in this sort of season, you know, if, if they were out of it and. and UCF is obviously going undefeated and blowing out teams left and right. I think you would have, you know, seen things build uh, kind of like that, uh, that buzz that was circulating prior to that pit game last year when UCF was on that winning streak and you saw the national attention from some of the big name writers in college football and, and all that stuff. And this is time to, to let him in. I think you'd have those people, you know, vouching for UCF. Now, would it have happened? You know, I don't know. I, I But I think the chances would have – at least I, I think you would have had a chance. Um, if the Big Ten's in it, I really don't see a chance. Um, you know, the only, you know, P5 team, Power 5 team are going to play is Georgia Tech. And, you know, we'll see what kind of season they have. But, you know, I, it's not the, – the resume, they're going to knock the resume. You're not playing an SEC or Big Ten schedule. If you, you know, blow out Georgia Tech, so what? I mean, it's just not going to be enough to get in and, and which you know, in such a strange year. And, and we don't really know how, how things are going to be looking towards the end of the year, which is the bowl system. Uh, you know, they're saying everything, most of these bowl games, a lot of them are, you know, acting as if they're going to be played, but you know, with fan limitations in some areas, it's just kind of be interesting how that works out. This would have been a good year for the playoff. If they talk about expansion of the playoff to, 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 to come together and find a way to play an 18 playoff this year. I, I mean, I know there's logistics and contracts and that sort of thing, but this would have been the perfect year. Well, maybe not. I mean, if, if you had these, these teams opting out, but just in a weird year where you don't know if some of these bowl games will be played, it would have been a, a good year to kind of get that thing going. But um, maybe I take that back. If the Big Ten wasn't going to be in it, there definitely wouldn't have been a need for it. But anyway, uh, my point stands. Like I agree with everybody else. If, if the Big Ten's in it, I just don't see a, a pack. Jason Beatty. Yeah, I think, you know, like everyone said, Big Ten, Big Ten, Big Ten, what happens there? But I think even if the Big Ten does come back, um, one question that we've seen, obviously, with UNC and maybe Virginia, can anyone really um, go against Clemson and actually beat Clemson um, in, in terms of the ACC? I think really you look at that conference, it's just Clemson up top and no one else, kind of like what we saw previously with the SEC and just Alabama up top. Um, you know, now you have a couple of stronger teams like Georgia and Florida coming up behind them. And you see that a little bit with UNC and, and some of those other ACC teams. And, but if, if Clemson gets upset in their conference championship game or, or if they suffer a loss or something weird happens and, you know, with COVID or what, you don't, you don't know what's going to happen. I think there might be a hole there where you question the you know legitimacy of the ACC strength of schedule and, and what that conference schedule is really like. We've seen, you know, you mentioned Phil Still before. He mentioned he ranked the AAC higher than the ACC last year at the end of last season, um, entering this year. You know, so I think maybe potentially with the ACC, depending on if UCF runs the table and there's chaos above, even if the Big Ten comes back, I, I'm not sure. I can't. I, I wouldn't bet on it. 
I mean, even if the Big Ten does come back. But if they don't, sure, why not? You know, why not? Yeah, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Big Ten because, you know, they may, they may not be a full Big Ten because uh, there are some schools that aren't going to play. I wonder if there's some opportunity for UCF to uh, schedule one of those teams. I don't know how the Big Ten's going to roll their schedule out. I know they're looking at potentially an eight-game schedule. But uh, even if the Big Ten were out – I still wouldn't trust the playoff committee to put UCF in. I think they would pick three SEC teams and Clemson. That's kind of where I just don't trust those guys in any way, shape, or form. So let's get some uh, quick thoughts on opening week at Georgia Tech. And uh, finally, we get to see UCF take the football field for the first time in 2020. And I think this will be a pretty interesting uh, game. It's a road game. Uh, you know, it's a shame we lost North Carolina because that would have at least been something on our resume. But Georgia Tech is really, you know, the power five that we got to go out there and beat. And I think this game, you know, if you look at uh, Georgia Tech and FSU from last week, I think that game says more about how bad FSU is than how good Georgia Tech is. Um, and I kind of see UCF going and putting a Stanford and uh, uh, a pit like beatdown like they did here in Orlando. I see them going on the road and doing that. So uh, let's uh, run around the room on that thought. Adam Eaton. Yeah, I, I think you see Georgia Tech's game plan, right? They, they want to muck up the game, right? They want to slow UCF's tempo down. Uh, you know, they want to they want to make this a, a game that's going to, you know, be ball control and possession. And, and obviously they want to keep UCF off the field as much as they can. That's what everybody wants to do. They were able obviously to do it against Florida State. I think that's more about Florida State than, than Georgia Tech. You know, if you're UCF, there, there's a true freshman quarterback now making his second start. Um, he played okay at, at times. I think he made a big throw, but he had two really costly interceptions to uh, Asante Samuel Jr., so U, UCF connection there. But um, I think it's, you know, keeping, you know, keeping him um, under control, you know, disguising your blitzes, uh, keeping, uh, you know, keeping the game uh, in front of him and making sure he has to make decisions and allow him to make the mistakes. I think we play our game on offense. Um, it, it's really going to be for me about how sharp we're going to be. If we have penalties, if we have turnovers, you know, that's what's going to get us behind a little bit. So I think if we play our game, I think Georgia Tech will try to muck the game up. I think we have too much talent, too much speed. Georgia Tech's still kind of learning their system. Again, second game with a, with a true freshman quarterback. Um, I think UCF should roll easily uh, if they can keep themselves in check. Brandon. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I guess there's, there's two ways to look at it. You know, I guess it was good for UCS perspective to, to see Georgia Tech play a game and kind of have an idea of, of what they're going to do and maybe some of their improvement. Obviously, there was a question about who the starting quarterback was going to be. And it was the true freshman, Jeff Sims, who, you know, outside of, you know, uh, some early game interceptions, you know, played really well. He was a name familiar to UCF fans, if they followed recruiting at all, he was one of the, uh, the, the top guys they were recruiting early on. Um, he came to a bunch of UCF games a couple of years ago. He committed uh, fairly early to Florida State, and which is kind of an interesting storyline when you look at last weekend. I'm not entirely clear what happened there. I think it was said that maybe Mike Norvell wasn't uh, totally high on him. And so uh, they parted ways and he eventually found a home at Georgia Tech. He looked like he made a great decision coming in and starting day one as a true freshman. And I think, uh, you know, they had that weather, that weather delay uh, for a little while in Tallahassee. And, and a lot of times they talk about, you know, who, where's the advantage you go? They talk about if you're the home team, you know, you know where you are, you have your locker room and stuff. But I, you know, from, from listening to some of the interviews with Jeff Collins, I think they benefited from, you know, being able to take a breather and, and, and particularly with Jeff Sims and kind of talk about 
things that, you know, he needed to improve on because he kind of had a, a shaky start before that weather delay. And he came in and, and played really well in that second half. So, you know, so for UCF, they kind of know what's coming, but they've gotten a game under their belt, you know, in terms of, you know, just playing a game and getting in game shape and, and penalties and, and, and alignments and, and, and <laughs> substitutions and all that stuff. They actually have done it. And so, uh, like Adam said, it'll be important for UCF to limit penalties and mistakes. Um, and that's kind of what bit UCF in those road losses last year. If you look at those games, there were a lot of stupid mistakes, um, you know, jumping off sides and different things like that, false starts that kind of derail drives. And you look at Pitt and you look at some of those offsides and things towards the end of the game. And, you know, Dylan Gabriel did, you know, kind of the only interceptions he threw all year were in those, when those road, road losses and just different decisions, you know, how sharp will UCF be coming out? And, and the, the expectation, the X factor that we really don't know is, you know, what kind of shape is everyone going to be in? You know, we, you know, we, we Shane Burnham, the defensive line coach kind of alluded to it today that, you know, guys probably aren't as maybe didn't make as much gains as they would have if they would have been on campus, you know, all, all spring and summer. So, but you know, then again, that's something every school is, is dealing with right now. So it'll be interesting to see how sharp UCF comes out. Um, uh, like I think everyone else is going to predict, I still think UCF will win this game. I think they'll win it by at least two touchdowns. But uh, Georgia Tech's maybe a little better than I thought, but it's kind of hard to say because Florida State really isn't that good of a team. Uh, you know, outside of those interceptions by Georgia Tech, and, and they missed some easy field goals. I think they were playing a was it a true freshman kicker? Uh, they had a, a very untested, inexperienced kicker that missed some easy field goals. So in reality. That game could have been, you know, instead of then coming back and winning 16-13, they should have really won by a much larger margin. Uh, but, you know, maybe that says more about Florida State than it says about Georgia Tech. So they are a much better team. Uh, I think they were uh, predicted 15 out of 15 preseason media poll by the ACC. I don't, th- I don't think that's a true statement at all. They're more probably a middle of the pack. Uh, but yeah, I'm just kind of anxious to see, you know, how sharp UCF will be. And, and this is a statement game. I mean, you know, obviously UCF has a goal of winning the conference. You talk about going one and over a week, but everyone knows that everyone looks at these games in particular, how you do against a power five opponent. They, these games get a lot more scrutiny than some of these, you know, conference games are going to get. And they know that if they want to have a chance and then everyone's going to be, you know, working towards that premise that maybe this is the year we have a chance to make the playoff. We have to make statements in every game and people will scrutinize this game. If we're at the end of the season and UCF is undefeated is, you know, how badly, you know, how, how much of a margin did they be these teams? And if they, you know, knock the socks off of Georgia Tech, sort of like we saw against Stanford last year. I mean, if Stanford didn't go on to have that great of a year, had a losing record, but if they can put that kind of performance uh, that's going to be important for them to kind of you know get those talking points going if we get towards the end of the season and UCF is undefeated and their name starts starts to get dropped around as being a, a potential playoff contender. All right, and Eric, before we get to you, I'm going to throw it back to Adam real quick because Adam is doing the Sons of UCF podcast tonight and he does have to depart. So Adam, if you want to give a closing UCF thought and uh, make those shameless plugs uh, for what you got, it's got going on. Yeah, closing thought. I mean, I guess I'll go um, you know, kind of off the board. I'm, I'm just glad we're here, right? Because I, I think for a while, I, I don't think if we knew we'd get here. So, you know, I tell my wife every year, every Saturday when she wants me to go do something, I'm like, listen, I get 12 of these a year. I need to make sure I watch them and I enjoy them and I cherish them. This year, I only get nine or more. So I, I think it's really, I'm just appreciative that we're here. I know a lot of things happen behind the scenes. And uh, and, and so, 
I'm glad we're at this point. I'm excited to get some football started, and, and you know, I can't wait for UCF to uh, to get on the field and be able to, to cheer on the Knights. I think it'll be a great season. Um, I can't wait to see what's in store for us this year. Uh, in terms of, of where you can find us, you can uh, you can search for Sons of UCF. We're on all your major podcast feeds. We have a new show dropping tomorrow. Uh, big special guest, so uh, make sure you check out uh, the uh, the feed tomorrow to see who that is. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Sons of UCF and Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. And uh, we look forward to uh, to all the all the folks following along for the year. All right, sounds good, Adam. And we thank you for being here once again uh, for our roundtable. All right, and now let's uh, flip back over to Eric and uh, talk about the Georgia Tech game. Eric, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I agree with, with Brandon and the thoughts of, hey, look, Florida State's a massive rebuild there. Uh, Jeff Collins, who was a former linebacker and recruiting coordinator at UCF for two seasons in 08-09, knows a thing or two about defense. Uh, he decided that James Blackman, the Florida State quarterback, wasn't going to beat him over the top. He's like, I dare you to beat me over the top. James Blackman, in throws over 10 yards, was 3 of 17 in that game. The problem that Jeff Collins has is Dylan Gabriel's a good deep passer. So he's not going to be able to have that game plan work against UCF. So what is he going to do? And I think this is a fascinating game from the storyline standpoint with Jeff Collins as the head coach. You got Brent Key as the on the staff of Georgia Tech, and Brandon knows the whole story, and we all know how it ended. It didn't end well, but, you know, had UCF had an average season in 2015, and I mean average, like I'm being generous, maybe five, six and six. I don't know if Brandon can disagree with me. Brent Key might have be the head coach right now at UCF. That was kind of the way it was lined up to set up. Didn't work out that way. They went winless, and the rest, as they say, is history. Well, Brent Key is on the tech staff, so to me – that they're going to try to really where are they going to expose try to hit UCF at and I think to me the the line uh, the trenches are going to be the key factors in this game I think Brent Key Georgia Tech they're going to try to be physical run the football how does UCF's defensive line hold up against Georgia Tech's offensive line and then on the defense uh, on the other side of the ball I think Jeff Collins is going to try to confuse a UCF offensive line and I think the key guy in this game is Matt Lee who I'm projecting to be the starting center replace you know Jordan Johnson one of the greats you could argue that Jordan Johnson may be the best center since uh, Grudioria back in the good old days I mean certainly uh that you know arguments can be made three-time all-conference performer so I think I'm you know I'm assuming that Matt Lee will be the starting center but it starts with him and in, in the and giving the signals and and make sure everybody's on the same page in the offensive line because I remember a year ago when we were doing this we were all saying man this could be the best offensive line in school history didn't live up to that they need. I'm not saying they have to be that this year, but they got to be good. And I think Jeff Collins and Georgia Tech will test them starting on Saturday. We're going to learn a lot about this offensive line. I think that's a key. I do think, though, UCF, too much firepower and uh, pulls away from Georgia Tech. But this is a game. It's interesting. George O'Leary, it's already been announced, will be on the sidelines. He's going to be into the Georgia Tech Hall of Fame. You got Brent Key, Jeff Collins. So it's a little bit like the UCF past against the present with the future perhaps at stake. Yes, and uh, George will be wearing some sort of pale gold, I presume, as well, <laughs> no matter which team he's pulling for. Jason Beatty. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that George O'Leary is going to be there. The last time that George O'Leary was at a UCF game in Atlanta, UCF won. Maybe we'll see that again. I'm not sure. But I think UCF has to come out fast, you know, maybe punch Georgia Tech right in the face and say, we're not FSU. We are fast. We're physical. We're big. 
on the outside and we're going to beat you on the inside. We're going to have Dylan Gabriel come out. I think the interesting thing, um, you know, you look at Jeff Sims and you could argue that Georgia Tech is maybe UCF a couple of years ago in terms of a young quarterback, running quarterback, um, you know, developing like that in, in terms of where UCF was a few years ago with Mackenzie Milton when he was a freshman. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see some of those freshman mistakes being made. We've already seen them been made with Asante Samuel Jr. Uh, having a couple of interceptions against Jeff Sims. I, I don't think UCF is, you know, I think it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be a close game in the, in the first half or so, but I don't think UCF is what FSU was last weekend where they're also going to make that many mistakes and they're also going to play lousy like that. I think there's just another level right there that Georgia Tech isn't prepared for. Um, But again, it comes down to if UCF doesn't force those turnovers and if UCF doesn't have that many penalties, um, you know, I think it really comes down to if Georgia Tech's going to win this game, UCF's going to be the one beating themselves. And that's what we saw last season. And and hopefully we don't see that on Saturday. But um, UCF, it'll be interesting to see if there's any rust and we, we've heard them play, oh, we practice at full speed and, and things like that. But, um, you know, there's a different type of mindset heading into actual game day and actual gameplay. But I think UCF comes out on top, two touchdowns. Um, they're going to break away. I think they're going to be too much for Georgia Tech right now where they are in this program. And I think they're on the rise. But right now entering this game, you're going to see the difference between two programs and that's going to be better for UCF. All right, and now time for the shameless plugs portion of the program. Uh, Brandon, uh, please go ahead and promote what you're doing, and if you have a final thought, you can drop that in as well. Yeah, uh, I'm, I can be found at uh, UCFSports.com. I've been around for a long time. Uh, come and join the message boards, and uh, give us a shot. But uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just excited just to finally see some some football, and, and this is this is kind of going to be a fun trip. I'm, I'm making the. Uh, the journey up to Atlanta. There's different uh, media regulations this year. My my niche has been being on the field and, and shooting photos and kind of getting that sort of content. Uh, not really so much sitting in the press box. I know Jason's the same way. Um, but uh, with with COVID, they're really restricting uh, who can be on on the field, and it's uh, it's very strict. And so I'm not going to be allowed on the field. So uh, I don't. I didn't want to be uh, stuck in the press box for hours uh, with a bird's eye view. And I'm like, well, what I, what I like to do, I like to be near the team, near the players, near the things that are happening. So I have bought tickets. I've been looking at StubHub because my tickets were supposed to be delivered today and they have not been yet. So I'm getting a little bit worried. I may have to buy some more tickets on StubHub, but I did buy some tickets to be behind the UCF bench, uh, spent a good deal of money, maybe overspent. As soon as they became available on StubHub, I snatched them up really quickly. Uh, I got some row five tickets or so, I hope. So uh, looking forward to being part of the uh, COVID fan experience at a football game. Now, many moons ago, uh, when I started uh, covering and following UCF, uh, UCF played a pair of games back-to-back years, 1999 to 2000 at Georgia Tech. So I went to both of those games, got some memories uh, from there. Uh, the 2000 game was, you know, one of those many uh, close uh, pull the pull the rug out from under you at the last minute kind of games that UCF was a part of in those late nineties, early two thousands. Uh, so it'll be good uh, to kind of get up there, and uh, it'll be uh, it certainly would be uh, would be good to see UCF uh, kind of uh, I don't know if we want to talk about revenge for games that happened twenty years ago, but but it would certainly be satisfying for the UCF fan base. I know to 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 see a, a victory against uh, Georgia Tech. 
Yeah, I would like to see that too because I was at both those games as well, and those still are very painful. Eric Lopez. That was the game where we were up like two scores, weren't we? And like yeah, George we were two got or something. And yeah. George got his first year starting because Joe Hamilton had been you know starting in the pri- previous years, and I think uh, Kenny Clark fumbled in midfield or something, and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden you know it's like it was just a disaster because it was like you know you have a, a two you know have a two a two score lead, and like how are you going to lose this game? But they found a way. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was just one of those one of those things. Like every year, with that Georgia game in 1999, there's yep. Auburn game in 98, just Ole Miss game in 97. I mean, it goes on and on. That's why even when that Alabama game happened, even though Alabama wasn't very good that year, they were still at Alabama. That's why it was such a significant win just for all those games that had happened before. Mm, well, hopefully, we'll, hopefully, we have better experience this time around because <laughs> I do remember watching that game, uh, listening to it actually. Because I don't even know if it was on TV and if it was. I don't think it was. I don't think right. it was a lot of games back then where they were right. either on, on, on pay-per-view, but Georgia Tech didn't have a, a huge fan base like Georgia that would have a – or an Auburn that would have a, a pay-per-view. I don't think they were on TV at all. I don't think – and that's what I was thinking about this today. I was like, man, I randomly would record on VHFs, you know, these, these yep. coaches' shows on yep. TV, and those yep. were the only way you would see highlights from these games. And, you know, I wonder if there's someone out there that has a whole library of these because some of these games, like, you're not finding footage. I don't even know if UCF even has stuff like this. They've had, you know, multimedia rights holders kind of come and go and change through the years. I don't know. Do they have, you know, highlights from some of these games? I mean, it would be fun to go back and watch to see, you know, some of these old highlights because unless you were recording them every week and you've saved them, I've got an archive that I need to, to, to digitize and I've done a little bit of that here and there over the years, but you know, I don't have that game. Yeah. And we yeah. got Jason, we got Jason wondering what a VHS is. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to make everyone feel really old. I was two years old. The last time I played UCF. So you don't recall uh, much of the game is what you're saying. <laughs> no, everything okay. the last few minutes over my head and through my ears. That's uh, well, you missed a lot of painful games back then for UCF. <laughs> it's yeah, uh, you've gotten to, you picked a good time to join there, but I remember listening to that game on the radio and it was a gut-wrenching loss because, I mean, they had control most of that game. And it's so weird because George Gotzi was the quarterback, as you mentioned, the first year. George Leary was the head coach. Who knew that 20, you know, what would turn out to be down the road, uh, all the connections here. And uh, hopefully, Brandon, you get your tickets. I'll, uh, real quick, I was at George O'Leary's last game as head coach at Georgia Tech. A buddy of mine's invited me to go up to Jacksonville for the Gator Bowl. Georgia Tech was oh. playing uh, Miami. Uh, and actually it was not O'Leary's uh, last game as Georgia Tech head coach. I think it was Joe Hamilton's last game. Okay. And we, and we flew in. Remember, those the whole Y2J, the Y2K thing. So we flew up to Jacksonville, and my friend's dad had the tickets, except he left the tickets in the house. Oh. We were, and we were already in Jacksonville, so he already had to buy t- he had to buy tickets from scalpers outside to get into the stadium. And uh, we ended up watching that game, which was a head coach ball game for George Larry. So hopefully you don't have to do that, Brandon. Hopefully they arrive. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll be in there one way or another. But uh, I want to say, obviously, we're at blackandgoldbanneret.com. We have a lot of coverage for the UCF Georgia Tech game. We're going to have a podcast this week previewing the game. Our own Brian Murphy is going to be in Atlanta covering that game. We got articles coming up. I just released the top 30 UCF assistant coaches. A couple of uh, Brent Key will be ranked. He is on that list. Where is he ranked? You'll have to tune in and uh, read there. That's part of our UCF 250 series. They've been honoring UCF greatest football, uh, not football players, greatest male athletes, female athletes, 
head coaches and now we're doing assistant coaches. So I encourage you to check that out on blackandgobanneret.com as we'll get you ready for the Georgia Tech game. And follow me on Eric Lopez Elo. Not only do you have UCF content, but I'm covering, I've been covering it, and Jeff knows this when I was on uh, earlier with him. I've been covering the NBA playoffs through uh, other uh, work that I get to do. I get to do cover post games and I'm covering the Eastern Conference final between the Heat and the Celtics. So I'm doing a lot of NBA content as well on social media as I get post game audio uh, for companies there. So many radio stations across the country can use it as they please. So busy time, but I'm happy to be busy. Trust me, compared to say back in March or April when, you know, there was no, nothing to do. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, David Letterman has nothing on you, Eric, with, you know, with the, with the you know, he just did top tens. You've got, <laughs> you've got tops all, all around the world. Uh, we've covered you. Like it is good stuff. That's for sure. All right, Jason, uh, your shameless plug and closing thoughts. Yeah, you can follow me at the real BD, B E E D E, nights247.com is the place to be. Um, you know, just some closing thoughts on the game and, and, and Saturday. Usually I would be on the field. And like Brandon said, I, I, I like being on the field a lot more than being up in the box. But I am investing in a pair of binoculars. <laughs> I am traveling to Atlanta. Um, I hope to be at the College Trouble Hall of Fame Friday afternoon to be there. I haven't been there since the Peach Bowl. Um, you know, so hopefully the, uh, the end of the result of the game will be just like last time. Um, but I'm, I'll be up in the press box. One of the few road media members that is, that is traveling. We mentioned Brian Murphy before he'll be there as well. Um, it's going to be a fun game. I'm, I'm just excited to have football. I really am. So follow me nights, 247.com. I'll be there in Atlanta. It's going to be an interesting game nonetheless. Yeah, I wish I was going to Atlanta because I would love to go by Mercedes-Benz Stadium and kiss the ground outside and, just, <laughs> and, 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 and great and revel in what uh, happened in the Peach Bowl uh, a couple of years ago. And guys, uh, thanks so much. You know, I'm so glad that we did get to do this, you know, because my goal is to make this a tradition unlike any other, to have the roundtable uh, each and every uh, season before uh, the football season kicks off. And I appreciate you guys all uh, hanging in there and doing it once again this year. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. Absolutely. Thank you. Always enjoy doing this. Uh, thank you for putting this together, Jeff, and I uh, can't wait to talk to you sometime soon. And we will be back to close out with the TV theme in just a moment. Five reasons why you should listen to or advertise with Captain and Company in the morning. One, just under four decades of professional broadcasting experience. AM, FM, online. Two, programming music you listened to before you settled down and started a family. Three, live every weekday morning just as reliable as your automobile. Four, no spin doctor here. I just can't fix stupid. Five, if you got this far, please go back to reason number one. Weekday mornings right here on your favorite online station. Our primary objective is to keep the groove. I got beach. Oldschool101.com. Forget about it.
Yes, this week's TV theme, and you could call this more of an anthem because, you know, College Game Day has their ESPN package of music that they play that uh, starts off their games and their pregame shows. But this is, you know, anthems are kind of a big deal now with Hank Williams on Monday night, except for this year. Um, Carrie Underwood on Sunday Night Football, and of course we get Big and Rich and crew for College Game Day. And that's just a great great sound when you hear that coming through your TV speakers, your sound bar on Saturday morning. You know it's time. <laughs> it's football day. So you got to like that. And uh, uh, one of the great staples that, uh, you know, college game day, maybe we'll get them back to UCF. Probably without any fans because, you know, that's a, a, a still to be determined on how that will work out but right now they have no fans at college name day as they made their their debut last week but uh, they are at least going on site and trying to deliver some flavor and even though lee corso is not traveling like what they're doing with lee good fun stuff there having the mascots come over to hang out in the pool with him and nitro firing up the grill excellent stuff college game day our tv theme slash anthem for this week and that is going to conclude things for today and with that we are done here thanks for listening to jeff allen sports talk follow jeff on twitter at jeff allen underscore 88 on facebook at jeff allen 88 and the website jeff allen sports and you can reach out to the show anytime by email jeff allen sports talk at gmail.com Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.